The cream rises to the top. If you build it, they will come. Content is king, and so on. We've heard all the cliches, but the problem is they are totally wrong. Even the best idea, product or project will fall flat if it isn't communicated effectively. On the Figures or Speech podcasts, hosts Tammy Palazzo and Tim Wickstrom talk to a wide range of amazingly successful executives, business owners, and leaders about how learning to communicate changed their lives and their fortunes. Every episode gives us stories we can emulate and lessons we can follow. Welcome, Jen Newmar. We're so happy to have you here. Finally got you on our podcast. To get this conversation started, I'd love for you to give us a little bit of background on you and also share with us a little bit about why you're so focused on communication, why you're so passionate about it. Sure. I, first of all, I'm so excited to be here today. So thank you for being patient with my availability. I, I can't wait to wrap up at the end and tell you where I am all over the place so that you can understand um, what's going on in my life here. But I'm so grateful that we have had the opportunity to work together. I feel extremely passionate about communication. I believe a lot of this stems from my background and how I grew up and really from my childhood. And one of the most important things that I have learned is the power of communication coming from my background. My dad was a fireman, a New York City fireman. And he struggled incredibly, incredibly in school growing up. And if he does listen to this, I apologize, Dad. I do think it took him seven times to get to to pass his GED because he struggled so much. And it wasn't because of what was the the inability of of knowledge in his brain. It really, he's he's brilliant. But it was really just taking that information and putting it down on paper The one thing that my dad was incredibly well-versed in was communication. He could tell a story like nobody's business, captivate a room. And I really saw the power of communication, how that was able to transcend him and what he was able to do both personally and professionally because he had that incredible ability to communicate. That's a really interesting background. And it's funny because when we do interview our guests, I feel like more often than not, there's this really big monumental experience that our guests observed in their childhood with their parents. It seems to be a really common theme that we see that, and it really helped to catalyze what what they were, what they ended up doing. So you saw that your dad really struggled. You saw that he you know, that you knew that he was intelligent and you loved the way he told the story. How did that translate for you? You know, what did you walk away from that situation that made you say, okay, I want to be able to do this or I want to be able to do this? Where was, where, where did that connection point come for you? Sure. Very soon in my childhood, I remember spending time with folks that had different things that they were challenged with. Um, and help trying to help them overcome them. One of them was teaching religious education to children with Down syndrome. I always felt that I had to come in and be able to empower people to do things that they didn't feel that they could do well. And that all stemmed from my childhood, seeing the power of what my father was able to do. And I said, I need to help people find their way. I need to help people empower them with, with feeling good about themselves, giving them opportunities that they felt that possibly they weren't able to have in the past. It's something that I live true to now and in terms of what I want to do in the future and living a life of, of 
living a very intentional life and really, truly impacting people in a way that, that they're not getting anywhere else. So I do try and work and, and, and interact with people in a way that when they leave a conversation with me or leave whatever that type of engagement is, they feel that they can go and do something very differently in a positive way. That's awesome. So let's fast forward the clock to where you are today. You're now at LinkedIn. Tell us a little bit about your work there and how all that connects together. Sure. I love LinkedIn. Uh, I love the ability that it gives me to go out and, and talk with organizations about doing things differently. Um, and it all comes back to the power of learning. I'm a first-generation college graduate. My parents did not go to college, clearly, if I'm a first-generation college graduate. And I love what education and the ability to have the education that I had, what it allows me to do. And so my passion in working with LinkedIn is working with organizations similar to LinkedIn about giving their employees tools they need to be successful, both personally and professionally. So that's where I spend most of my time working with some very large accounts and an incredibly dedicated team of people that go out and have these really deep conversations about empowering people and see to do things differently, to think differently. And it's really changing the mindset of organizations, right? 20 years ago, we were looking at compliance training and sexual harassment training. And now it's really different. It's, it's, I've heard some really incredible stories on how employees have used learning to do things differently, to be better parents, to be better human beings, be more productive at work. And it's truly cyclical by providing employees or anyone for that matter with the ability to learn. And so my passion in terms of looking at communication from early childhood and and giving people or helping people, I should say, with the ability to do things differently. I love where I'm sitting right now in an organization where I feel that I am truly making a difference with organizations so that they can look at their employees very differently and give them something that is just truly unique, giving them incredible context to do things where they may have not felt that they could do them in the past. It truly is life-changing. It's giving people the ability to change their life. So it's very much in line with what I'm doing on a personal level. That's awesome. So full disclosure to our listeners, we know Jen very well, and we have lots and lots of conversations with her. <laughs> so she's been very good and organized with her thoughts. Typically, our conversations are all over the place about all these great topics that we're hopefully going to touch upon today. So I'm going to put some context around the conversation because we know and wanted everybody else to know how cool what you do and and where you come from, like what motivates you to do what you do. But the context of this conversation, because it's such a, a, a hot topic right now, it should really be about the workforce and the millennials in the workforce. So Some of you may have heard this before, but earlier this year, LinkedIn came out with a report where they, and Jen can probably share a little bit more about this, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to articulate it without being a LinkedIn employee, a study where they, they heard from all of the members of LinkedIn. So the millions of people that are on LinkedIn and identified based on a lot of different research. They looked at what people were putting in their profiles, what their experiences were, and really reinforced the fact that the biggest skills gap is communication. We've all heard that soft skills is the big challenge. That's been, that's been a topic for a while now, but now we're really zeroing in on it and seeing that communication of the soft skills, which are a lot of different skills, but communication, whether it be written or oral communication, is really the biggest skills gap. 
And we all know, because we live in the space, that organizations aren't doing a whole lot and haven't been able to really wrap their arms around how to tackle this. So I want to talk about millennials in the workforce, and I want to preface all of it by saying this. In, I want to say it was probably around 2009, 2008, PwC did a study, and it was one of the first big millennial studies, because that's 10 years ago, and the millennials were just really beginning to enter the workforce. And the study talked about all their habits, which to Gen Xers like me or baby boomers, were absolutely absurd, right? These behaviors made no sense to any of us because they were so different than what we knew to be true. But one of the biggest pieces that came out of that study was that they valued learning above and beyond anything else. So they would pass up a raise. They may not pass up vacation days, but learning was listed like in the top two or three priorities for them, that they wanted to have this level of continuous learning and they wanted to improve in lots of different areas. It wasn't necessarily just technical skills, it was just continuous learning on whatever, whatever made sense, and they expected that their, their companies would support that. So here we are 10 years later, LinkedIn Learning has created something that's enabling that. I'd love to hear more from you about, number one, you know, what you see happening with millennials in the workplace and how you see LinkedIn and other organizations like us really helping to fulfill that desire of the millennials to continue their learning. That's a big question for you, Jen. Go for it. Wow. <laughs> All right. Yes. And, and good observation. I am not, I'm trying not to be that squirrel on this call today or on this podcast. And <laughs> all of this goes back to communication and the, the need for con continuous improvement on that. I love looking at this generation that's either in the workforce or entering the workforce, right? This millennial generation. I love to do research on this because I do believe there's some really good insight that comes off the back of things that folks have studied. And so that we're looking at this very objectively, you can talk to folks that are in the workforce and in many cases, they'll use the word, you'll use the word millennial and there's, there's that immediate guttural reaction of, oh gosh, this millennial generation. But there's so much more to this, this human being that's coming to the table because of the way we've empowered them to have the skills they have. And so, you know, we've enabled this generation to come in looking the way they do. And, and let's talk about this generation because I recently did some research on this and we have spoken about this, but there's 56, as of in 2017, 56 million millennials are either in the workforce or looking for work. And it's the largest generation in the U.S. labor force. And this is according to some, some Census Bureau data and some other research out there. We've also mentioned, and we talked about this before, by the year 2025, millennials will make up, is it 75% of yep. the workforce now? That's exactly right. 50 to 75%. And it's probable that half of corporations will be made up of at least 50% of these millennial generations, right? Of this millennial generation. So... This generation is coming into the workforce looking very differently than you and I did. It's, some other studies have shown that 44% of executives say the biggest skill gap of this millennial generation is soft skills. And so we just talked about that. What are these soft skills? It's critical thinking. It's problem solving. And most importantly, it's communication, both verbal and nonverbal communication. 
And what we're seeing is that we need to adapt to this generation um, in different ways, right? Our leaders are going to have to interact very differently when we're interacting with this generation of people that's going to make up this substantial part of the workforce, but also that we need to give this generation tools they need to be successful and seek. They need to be able to continuously develop their communication skills because at one point in time, these are going to be our future leaders. So what do we need to do to mitigate that, that, that problem that we're seeing? And that's where presenter is truly groundbreaking in this way because it gives folks the ability to continuously improve upon their communication, it gives organizations the ability to look at it from a holistic approach. LinkedIn completely complements that with the one directional training, the training that we provide in terms of all the really good context on communication, but it does require both, right? You have to be able to learn, but then also practice and present ours a really incredible way to do that. I use it. I've introduced it to many folks within my school in University of Pennsylvania that are using it too, because we all need to continuously develop upon that and set ourselves up for success, set this generation up for success. It's really an interesting dynamic of folks that are coming in that are used to communicating in a very different way. And we've got to be prepared to help them be successful. And communication is key. I think that's such an interesting point you bring up there about obviously the dominance of the workforce. It's transitioning and they are, the millennials are definitely going to be the leader in the next decade plus uh, of any other generation besides the baby boomers. And one of the things I'm interested in, you said you've used Presenter, and we know that you have, and we love that, of course. And what I'm interested to know a little more about is you are on the other end of that where you are also trying to solve your clients' problems. So you talk to these really large organizations that have thousands of learners on your platform trying to learn. Are there things such as micro-learning or processes that you're hearing from your client that their learners are more akin to or they're liking more? What is it about your solution and how you see presenters, that practice tool, that sort of fills the gap with your clients? Because I'm sure they're giving you feedback on, hey, you know, our, our, our learners are shifting. They want more in the moment. They want data. What's the landscape like with your clients? And how does presenter play into that? That's an excellent question, especially around the micro-learning. I'm glad you asked this. We briefly mentioned before that millennials are spending more time communicating non-written communication more so than spoken. And it's really because of where they're used to spending their time, right? So with millennials, they're spending, or research shows that they're spending over six hours per week, and that's probably at a minimum. On social media sites, 27% of their time checking their phone. They're so accustomed to communicating non-verbally and to getting feedback and doing things in a very immediate way that with this generation that's making up the sales force as large as they are, they need to be able to learn in a different way. Micro-learning is key. Micro-learning, being able to find information that you need instantaneously to address a problem is key. And I would say it's key to the entire organization. If you need to be able to figure out how to do a pivot table, you're going to look and uh, you need that instantaneous feedback on how to do that. When we look at the millennial generation, they're so used to getting responses and feedback and access to information in such an immediate way that being able to have access to this learning immediately and in short snippets is very critical 
to them being able to take in information, digest information, and then be able to act on it. And if we look at it, just the way millennials are engaging, right, in terms of nonverbal communication, they order pizzas nonverbally, they yeah. have a fitness <laughs> trainer nonverbally, their schoolwork is done, and a lot of personal trainers, all of this stuff, uh, scheduling a vacation, it's all nonverbal. And in this world of using this nonverbal communication, they're used to getting responses back right away. So through email, through WhatsApp, through all these different chats that they are engaging in, that the need for a quick response is something that's very critical, almost to the point where research has shown that their brains, the brains of millennials have changed in terms of how they are taking in consuming, reacting upon the information in their brain. And more studies will have to be done on this generation in terms of how their brain has changed due to the fact of how they've learned to, to communicate over all these years. Very interesting. Lots of really good things that come from this. And by that time, we'll be on to the next generation and be figuring that out. I was, I was just going to say, there has been some research, and I know you're familiar with this, about how brain chemistry has changed. And you have kids, I have kids, my kids are a little bit older than yours, but same situation that their attention spans are really short. So it's much harder for them to process information. I don't understand, frankly, and I'm not that old. Like, I always have to preface this when we have these conversations because I'm not that old. And I think I'm very current in terms of that I multitask with technology, but I'm still amazed. And I hear myself being a parent from the 1970s when I start yelling at my kids when they're watching TV, they have YouTube, they have music, they have FaceTime or Snapchat open, and they're studying. And I'm like, where is that information actually coming into your brain during this time? Because there's so much competition by all these other media to get their attention. But I shared with you last week, it's, it's interesting the way you finish up that comment. There's a whole generation that's about to enter the workforce that's right behind them, Gen Z. And there was a great study that I read that I was researching something else and I found this study that talks about the communication preferences of teenagers. And it, they looked at teenagers six years ago and they looked at them just this past year. And this past year, the, the age group is 12 to 17. So the kids from just this most recent study are really on the brink of entering the workforce. The kids six years ago who were at the top end of the study are millennials. The habits have changed. So in 2016, 50% of those kids said they preferred face-to-face -face communication. So those are millennials on the older end. Now we've got those young kids are now older. Now that number has dropped to 32% of them prefer face-to-face -face communication. So we can only imagine what happens 10 years from now, right? My son is six years away from entering the workforce. His brother behind him, if they don't go to forever graduate school, nine years away. <laughs> God help me if they do. I can't afford it. But nine years, 10 years away. So what does that mean, right? What does that mean? And I think about this all the time because I do feel like, especially our generation, has gotten really hung up on hating on millennials, right? Those millennials, they're just totally screwing up our lives. and They're wrecking my generation. They totally 
like usurped us, right? We never had a moment to have a, nobody cares about Gen X's preferences. Nobody cares about us. Like we don't count. But in any event, we're always hating on millennials. I'm curious to know from you, what are they doing that's good for us? Because I think you have an interesting point of view on this and you appreciate the fact that they're forcing us to do things differently in a good way. Mm-hmm. I love this because I actually think, I, I do believe this, is that this generation is doing all the things that we didn't have the chutzpah to ask for in the past, right? <laughs> there were only like three of us. There were like three people. And then we were like bumpered by baby boomers and then millennials. We never had, right. we didn't have the massive voice. But anyway, go on. I, you know what? It's, it's really interesting. They are looking for flexibility. I remember I waited a long time for my first child and she's a, she's a gift, although this morning, maybe not so much a gift, <laughs> but she's a gift overall. No, she's a true gift. And I remember that I missed the first time she was pushed on a swing. And I will never forget that because I didn't have the flexibility in my job. And this generation is coming in and they're looking at things differently. They're, they're looking for that flexibility. They're not missing out on life moments. I am sure for any of us who are not millennials that are listening to this have missed out on life events. I will never miss out on a life event again. And I'm sure we all remember it. I know exactly what my daughter was wearing when I got that picture and exactly where I was at work and exactly where I went to cry. And I think this generation is coming in and they're coming in demanding things that are giving us better work-life balance, things that we, we didn't fight for and were not available to us. And now when we look at these organizations who are preparing themselves to have incredible cultures to attract these millennials, this millennial generation, it's helping all of us be better people, live our life to the fullest because this generation has entered the workforce. They're looking for tools for personal and professional development. This isn't about being a better employee. This is about being a better person. What I love about the ability to come in every day and work for LinkedIn is that I feel that, and I'm hoping most everyone else does too, is that what I'm doing truly does make a difference in the people that I'm serving. Whether it's the people that are on my team, whether it's my clients, I feel that I can come in and make a difference where five, 10 years ago, I had to do a lot of that outside of work. If I wanted to give back, I didn't have the time in the office to do that. And so not only are they fighting for for what's right, they're fighting for humanity. This is groundbreaking what this generation is allowing the three of us right now to have the ability to do during a work hour is do something as extraordinary as this and allow people to take goodness away. It's incredible. They are I'm grateful, grateful, because I'm living my life in a different way. I think it's interesting you say it that way, because I think we are, and I think the generations before us too, they're the beneficiary of our own way of doing things. So I know we, while we may be one of the smallest populations out there, I think we drove some change in how business was done before us. But I think we're seeing that now as well. I mean, again, we kind of give uh, millennials a hard time. But generally, if you think about it, they're aspiring to do and doing what we hope they would do differently or better. Isn't that what all parents want for their kids, by the way, is let me get you to do it better than I did, have more opportunity. And, you know, we talk about this frequently, the gig economy. And it's interesting if I, going back on this whole conversation, 
I totally agree. Millennials are all, it's not even about work-life balance. And we abandoned that language a, a while ago. It's about work-life integration and how it all flows together and knowing that you can work with somebody halfway around the world at the drop of a hat. You can have a website up, you can have a product out there, you, a consultant, whatever it is. And so I, the things that stand out to me in this conversation that are really interesting is that the way in which we do business and how we try to drive it forward, we need to actually be more open to how it's being pushed up at us. And that's something that I think has been maybe not so easy for generations before us. I'd like to say that we Gen Xers and Gen Yers have done it better in, in allowing that. I think millennials are driving that. But it's interesting too to have the trade-off of the flexibility and never miss a personal moment in your life requires a level of, as you know, I'd bring it back, it requires a level of communication ability to not just share it and say it, but it is partly in how you do it. It's the way in which you do it. And I just find it interesting that the amount of face-to-face -face time we think is going down, and that may be true, but what that really highlights is the importance of if you have less face time with somebody, whether it's virtual or in person, the way you show up is going to matter twice as much because you have less time to affect the outcome with that person. So you actually have to be better at something that you thought may not be relevant. I'm curious, are you hearing any other trends outside of, uh, you know, the ability to work anytime, anywhere they want to, not missing those personal pieces of life and God forbid you had to go into the stairwell and cry at missing your first daughter's, your daughter's <laughs> first walk. We hear many of the stories now that that doesn't happen. You know, what are you seeing trend-wise in solving some of these problems? We've talked a little bit about presenter and how it gives that real-time automated feedback. You can practice at that point. But there are other things, I think, such as customization or customizable experiences. What other trends are you hearing in your client world that is going to solve some of the problems for the learning landscape, whether it's millennials or anyone else. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So let me think about that trend. I, you know, I, I have to tap into what you just said on gig economy. People and organizations are looking at the future of the workforce. And what does this mean? Folks like myself are not staying, which I did before, before I joined LinkedIn. I was at an organization for 18 years. And our parents did the same thing, did something very similar. They were in jobs for 30 years and they started a job and they retired at that job. What the changes in the workforce will allow folks to do is be able to have that, be able to grow, be able to have the flexibility that they need. But also, I, I, I do truly believe that lifespan within an organization is, is going to change. It's going to get shorter. Our workplace environments are going to look very different. Will there be a need to have an actual physical location to come into? The cost incurred with that, can we operate more efficiently because of the way our employees are engaging with an organization? And the goodness that comes from that, you know, there's an incredible amount of depth of information that people bring into an organization when they've been somewhere previously. And then taking that goodness and going on and doing something different. So we will probably learn so much more from this generation of people that will have shorter time span and see because of what they're able to bring from their previous engagements and then what they're able to take to their future engagements. And what I will add to this, it might be a little bit of a side note, but the one extraordinary thing I'm seeing from organizations that I'm working with 
is the drive to really engage their employees with learning so that they can be a better person in their next role. And the one thing I will say is I think LinkedIn recognized this years ago. When I first started LinkedIn, I believe it was my second or third day on the job, my manager sat down with me and said, what do you want to do next? Where do you want to go after you leave LinkedIn? And I said, whoa, hold on. I literally just left somewhere after 18 years. I'm not going anywhere. And he said, yes, you are. And not only are you going to, we want to help you get there. We want to give you the skills you need to be better in your next role because it truly is cyclical. And this goes back to us all being humans and this whole entire humanitarian effort of working and doing things for the greater good. How can you continue to give back in a greater capacity? And organizations are looking to do that for their employees. That's incredibly progressive. 20 years ago, and still some organizations today will say, I don't want to train my employees because I don't want them to leave. We're doing them a disservice, complete disservice. Oh, there are people that are cringing as they listen to this right now because they're like, no, 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 no. But you bring up a really good point because you do work in a very progressive organization. And, and the idea that, you know, women would not, or men for that matter, would not have to miss their kids' first steps or their first push on a swing or, you know, whatever, whatever that big accomplishment is, or the first time they go poop on the body, right? Those big things that, you know, you know, you're outsourcing to a nanny or to daycare or whatever. There are more opportunities today. And I I agree with you. I think millennials have forced organizations to say it's going to, we have to be people centric versus being business centric, right? Once upon a time, talent was a number, you know, you were a full-time equivalent or not a full-time equivalent, you know, and now people are actually people and you have to look at what they need individually versus every marketing person has to have this, right? I remember this goes back probably like 10 years ago when Silicon Valley was showing how progressive it was in terms of technology. And when employees came into the organization, the, you know, when your first day at work, what technology do you need? What kind of devices do you want to work on? What's your preference in, to enable them to work more efficiently? That's kind of old school now. Everybody does that. But this idea of really looking at the individual as you being a stop point on their journey versus we want to maximize every dollar we invest in you is not necessarily as embraced as we'd love it to be. But I think this, and I'd be curious to know your thoughts around this, I think that some companies, you know, this idea of the gig economy suggests that if I train you on X and you leave, you may still be part of our ecosystem at a later date. So you may not be working here, but if you have a really positive experience with us, you may become a contractor for us. You may be supporting us in a different capacity because work itself is changing. So the people who are listening to this going, oh, no way are we going to invest in an employee who's going to turn around and leave in a year or two years, but instead looking at it like we're investing in the ecosystem of our business, I think that's a different, that's a different way of looking at it. Oh, you're 100% right. I'm going to throw a wrench into this because there's something we didn't talk about. And think about this gig economy on how this impacts hourly workers. How does this impact people that don't have the ability for whatever, if it's because of childcare, that to be in this corporate America realm. This 
gig economy is going to provide opportunity for those in ways that we can't even fathom right now that will have the ability to do really incredible things in this as a gig where they may not have been able to do that before. And this really will change the skill sets of the world because people will have the ability to do things that sit outside of what are available to them now, where they can't possibly have the means to work in this type of environment because of the the type of, uh, because they are hourly workers, because of the time constraints that they have on them. It's really going to open up doors to folks that I think when we're looking at a gig economy, we we haven't even explored that yet. And that's what's going to be radical for people and economies and cultures that just haven't had the need to have the ability to do this. That's where I see that this is completely changing the way we are looking at, at skilled labor. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I'm confronted with it every day because I have teenagers and I see how they're, how the directions they're going or their expectations for when they get out of school or even why they're going to school. What is it that they want to learn? My older son, who's a senior in high school, wants to go into engineering so he could start his own company. He wants to be able he he wants to be able to be in business, but also know how to code. And for him, he's not necessarily looking at an employer. He doesn't look at companies and say, "I could work for this employer." He's thinking, "I could work for myself. I can create my own business and provide services to other companies." It's very, very different. You know, we grew up and we're like, "Oh, I remember being in college, and I was a uh, I was a liberal arts person. No, no surprise. I was an English major, and I had roommates who were." business majors and accounting majors, and they were so excited to go work at Ernst & Young. And I love Ernst & Young, so no disrespect to Ernst & Young. But at the time, I thought, oh, okay, I don't even know who Ernst & Young is. I'm a, I, wanted to, you know, I wanted to write. I didn't know any of these things. But that was the direction, that was the pathway that people wanted to take to, they saw a place that they wanted to work, or their parents worked there, or they had a relative work there. And it's so different. I wonder from your perspective, Jen, because you are naturally a connector and you look at all different people and the way, the different ways in which people think and behave and operate. And obviously coming out of sales, you also have to think about how to influence these people who think differently or operate differently. I wonder what your perspective is on how we are for now bridging that gap because we have people who are so far on one side of the spectrum in most organizations on one side of the spectrum. And then you have people in the workplace and coming into the workplace that might as well be speaking a different language. What are your thoughts about how we really begin to change that? And I'm sure some of it is centered around communication, but how do we do that? An excellent question. What I like most about the folks that are joining the workforce is that there's an openness to learn through different mediums. And it's through VR, it's through apps like Presentar that are giving you the mobile flexibility to have access to learning on the go. And it really is about giving folks the ability to learn in a way that's meaningful for them, but at a time and within a time frame that they can actually get access to learning. So on their own time, I think one of the things we need to do is we need to continue to build these communities of people. 
We need to look and reach out to people that don't smell, look, and taste and feel like ourselves. The power of connection is incredibly important. And I look at that a lot. And I, I do need to look at that more in terms of, I should say, I look at it not as often as I would like. Who are my connections? Who are my personal and professional connections? And for the purpose of this call and this podcast today, I'm going to look at my professional connections. Where do they sit? Many of them are folks that I have worked with before and look, smell, feel just like me. I need to do a better job of reaching out to people that sit outside of my network because the power of connection is truly extraordinary because it gives all of us the opportunity to learn differently, to learn about, to get better understandings of of different cultures. That truly improves our ability to do things in a way that we haven't done before. It improves the way we communicate with people. It improves how we engage with other people. And there is an incredible power of connection that I don't believe we leverage enough to help us be better people. And by learning, engaging with people, it really does truly drive how we communicate and improves our sensitivities to to people and understanding how people want to be interacted with or getting uh, an understanding of a culture perhaps that I haven't, don't have a full understanding of that, that may look to engage very, very differently than I do. And, and it really improves, and it gets back to unconscious bias and, and really reducing those things that are inherent to us because we just don't have that understanding. That's why I sit in this space. That's why I do what I do because I really do believe there is an incredible power of communicating and learning about people to reduce a lot of the things that sit within us to help us be better people. And it does come back to that power of connection. And the power of connection will drive the way we communicate, most definitely. We've talked a little bit about this in the past. This is really changing the diversity conversation, right? Because even though we can't leave behind the cores of the diversity conversation, which is very much about race and gender still plays a big role in that because a lot of companies haven't solved those problems. But there's a whole other part, which has been more of the conversation over the last you know, five or so years, which is about this sort of inclusive structure, this idea of how do we think, you know, diversity of thought is a term that's, that certainly has been used, but this idea about how we think differently and how we work to look at our differences on a different level. So if you ask a, if you ask my 17 year old son, if he, how he looks at diversity, he's just so accustomed to seeing people of different colors, different genders. He doesn't think he's, he didn't grow up. And I'm sure in many ways, that's a privilege to him that he grew up in a more progressive community where he didn't necessarily see race and gender in that way. And I'm sure he's going to confront it in his life differently. But as a whole, we are dealing with a generation that is more progressive in their thinking and didn't grow up with affirmative action and and don't necessarily see it that way. So the conversation really becomes about how we create workplaces that are inclusive on many different planes than ever before. Managing across generations is not a new concept. But what we're managing on is more complex now because we have to really get under the hood. I mean, you brought it up. It's, you know, there's this unconscious bias and we think about the iceberg, right? How much of the iceberg do we see? Here's what we see. We're walking down the hall and you see somebody, you know, quickly texting on their phone or they're sitting in a meeting and they're texting on their phone and people are making judgments about them. And they don't know if they're not 
just quickly texting to make sure that their kid is okay or dealing with something because they're multitasking and they're still very present in the meeting because they think differently than I do, which is if you're looking at your phone right now, it's aggravating me and you're not paying attention to me, right? So this idea of This has to be a generational thing. I know I do the same thing. If I see you <laughs> looking at your phone, you're ignoring me, but it's a really valid point. It's a good point. Yeah. So let's switch gears because we're, we're going to be coming up to the top of our, or the end of our time. What about you? Let's talk about you a little bit. You know, what have been your challenges? You grew up with a dad who was a good model for you from a communication standpoint, but obviously you experienced his challenges. You saw how difficult education was for him and you clearly took the ball and ran with it and made education such a huge priority for you in your life. And you're constantly learning and evolving and growing. But what challenges have you encountered and faced in communication? Just straight up. Were you ever afraid? Because you're the easiest person to talk to anybody. But did you ever feel like, oh my God, this is terrifying. I don't want to do this. When you had to talk in front of people, or did you feel like it came really naturally to you? Oh, most definitely. I still get that pit in my stomach when I have to engage large, large audiences. I think it's just very natural. I've learned a lot to overcome that by being prepared and also by listening to myself. So I am going to plug presenter because I do truly believe it has helped me in terms of seeing where I need to take pause, looking at the volume of my voice. I am a very excitable person. If those of you who will just be listening to my voice can um, take away from that. And so I have to be very mindful of that because one of my biggest challenges, 100%, and it's been shared with me and it's still shared with me today, is that sometimes my messages get lost in my excitement and there's not a power to them because everything is, oh my God, you need a haircut. This is so exciting. And it's everything is at that level when I need to be more conscious of that. And so with the app, it's actually helped me quite a bit with the intonation of my voice and the level in which I speak so that I am putting emphasis where I need it. So that has helped me a lot. I still, I still get nervous. I, I do enjoy it, though. There's nothing more than, than making an impact. So I am do hoping that when I do have the opportunity to talk with folks and that are listening to this today, that they are coming away with something meaningful. So that's the most important thing. But that pit's still there. And we all have them, right? I hear that whole thing is 75% of the population, you know, again, we go back to it again and again, would rather be in the box and give the eulogy. And then someone adds on to that. I think the other 25% are lying. (laughs) We just, we have, we all have those experiences. And I, I really appreciate for one, you, you sharing your background and where your inspiration came from to get into this world with your, you know, with your dad and what you experienced there. I think we all have such unique ties to communication in general because it touches us somehow, some way or or another, whether it's your parents, it's your babysitters, it's your teachers, it's everybody who we come in contact with in some sort of authority as we evolve. We learn by osmosis partly. I think that that's just a general way in which we start to adapt and figure out our own communication style. I don't know about you, but my parents didn't sit me down and a teacher in school didn't send me down and say, let's talk about active listening and what that looks like and how you take your nonverbals and control the way they look. If I gave my mom the wrong look, I got the side eye from her and the smack almost. So the way in which we all were educated on how we communicate is vastly different. We like to talk about this all the time. How do you know when you're at the airport 
to go up to the ticket counter if you're waiting in line to speak to somebody. It's because they make eye contact with you. You don't dare walk up until they look at you. So when you think about that, and I appreciate you sharing that about yourself, uh, you know, with everything's excitable, everything is on a 10 out of 10, and where does the emphasis come from? And I think that that's a really big piece that you talk about, and especially with presenter in mind, in that it's that ability for you to be self-aware and to know what you need to do differently, but how do I do it differently? How do I, it's great that somebody can help me identify it or I can self-identify. I know this about myself. Someone shared this with me, but it's that ability to take that information and practice somewhere in a safe environment where you're free of judgment, free of, you know, sort of that subjective uh, piece and I think that that's what we know to be true. One of the things I'm most proud of with Presenter is it gives you the platform to practice wherever you want with a quantitative assessment versus, oh my God, Jen, that really sucked that you did that. Try to really do better next time you do that. Uh, is that sort of your experience as well when you're practicing and getting ready for presentations where you find yourself still, still being nervous? What helps move the needle for you? What helps move the needle it's practicing. It's really practicing, looking at my body language, being open, reading the audience is really important, seeing where I need to, to pivot and making that eye contact. And I think it's, it can be really challenging to have this be up and, and it's, it's easier to get up in front of an audience and not look at the folks that you're engaging with. But it's really so much more important to read them so that you understand understand the impact that you're making. Again, it all comes back to that impact, that human interaction, leading and living with an, uh, an intentional life so that you know what you're doing and people are coming away with something really good. But a lot of that comes with practice and getting feedback. Feedback is great. The app is great because I, I know right away that immediate feedback, this generation needs immediate feedback and allows me to do it in the privacy of my own home, which is, is tremendously helpful. I don't have an engaged audience of a four and a five-year-old here that's <laughs> going to listen to me practice unless it involves Oreos or graham crackers. So and most of my engagements don't involve either of those two words. So. <laughs> and we're less entertaining than Oreos. Let's just admit it, right? Yeah. I'm not going to provide the satisfaction of <laughs> Well, Jen, we're coming to the conclusion of our time with you. This has been so amazing. Before we let you go, though, we do like to ask just a few questions. And this goes back to the days of when everybody had stacks of books on their nightstand. What do you have on your nightstand? We're curious to learn from you and to share with our, our listeners, what is influencing you this, these days, either through podcasts you're listening to, books you're reading, like real genuine books or even Kindles, whatever the case may be. What media are you consuming these days? Excellent. I love a book. I love to hold a book. I love the smell of a book that'll never disappear. I'll talk about the books and I'll talk about the podcast. There are two books that I'm reading right now. And I actually one book that is on my nightstand that I not, have not started reading is The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Hoot. I won't say the actual word. Um, the NF, this is there's oh, going to be a lot of folks go. that are reading it. But I need to let go. And I, it's a personal motivation of me to be a better person and focus on the things that are most important to me. So I'm hoping this book is going to help me prioritize a little bit more. It's something that I struggle with. And I really, um, I'm excited about reading that. The other one that I'm reading right now is Positive Psychology. And it's really about 
the influence of interacting with people in a very positive way and finding their strengths. And I'm actually reading it for school, and I only have a couple chapters to read, but shout out to Dr. Annie McKee if she ever listens to this podcast. It's so phenomenal. I'm going to read the entire book because I think a lot of it is going to help me as a person, as a leader, and in terms of where I want to go next. I will also say that something that's very near and dear to me is working with veterans on coming out of transitioning out of the military and transitioning to civilian workforce. So I try and listen to podcasts that are that are from of veterans that are transitioning, trying to hear what some of those challenges are. It's something that I think we don't spend enough time on. Um, helping folks that have dedicated their life to service and helping them really find their way back into a very different type of work-life balance. And there's still some more work to do. So I listen to those a lot just to see where I can find some bits and pieces of how I can give back on that. That's something that's really important for us all to look at, especially with communication. We're used to communicating very differently. And if you've ever worked with someone that has, that's transitioning, it's, it's a challenge. And we've got to give folks the, the ability to have every opportunity afforded to them. And so this is, it, it comes all back to communication. So, and then of course, also my, I wrote something down, uh, the lively show, living an intentional life. That's all. If I have any time to do self-help, which is very small, but that I will go to as well. So lots of stuff, both all different types of mediums. I think it's, it's good for the brain too. That's awesome. I love, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I will tell you, this is the part of the show that ends up costing me a lot of money because I start buying, I buy every book that everybody <laughs> talks about to my Kindle because I don't use paper books anymore. My Kindle is filled and my Amazon account is just getting, my credit card is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. All, all of those. <laughs> All right. Well, Jen, thank you so much. For thank you so much, Jen. Show today. We are so grateful. We love you. And we're so happy you were here. This was a great conversation. And we really appreciate your point of view on all of this. I think what we talked about today, we'll talk about more as time goes on. It's really, you're definitely, what the work that you're doing, aside from all of your personal and volunteer work, which is amazing, but the work that you're doing in the workplace, I think is so important because it is going to shape the way we work together as organizations and as individuals in the years to come. So thank you for taking time out of your busy day to be with us. And we are always happy to be chatting with you. So thank you so much. Thanks, Jen. Thanks for your time today. Love my peace. Thank you. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Until next time. <laughs>